pastors have a unique challenge this time of year during Advent. We're sweating bullets over this question right here. You know, how can we preach and teach about Christmas in a way that doesn't sound like the same old thing? I mean, you know what's coming every December, right? Right? Well, uh, so do we. So how does that keep from getting old? I mean, how can we hit the refresh button to keep Christmas from becoming a grind? I can't even believe I said that. Grind. There, I said it. Christmas, a grind? Well, yeah, sometimes it is. It just is. And I wonder how many of us have felt that. Oh, maybe not this year. Maybe not this year. And maybe it's not been that way for a while, but maybe, maybe one Christmas, maybe it's this Christmas. You've just kind of felt, man, this is a grind, you know? I mean, golly, Thanksgiving came late and feels like things have been compressed and it's just busy and busy shopping for gifts and busy going to parties and busy filling out Christmas cards, busy getting trees, busy getting ornaments for the tree, busy getting the Christmas tree straight and then busy going to the counseling session because you didn't get the tree straight and Busy baking cookies, just busy, busy, busy. And we try to cram it all in, and, and we end up exhausted and frustrated, and, and then, you know, throw in an eight-inch snowstorm, right? Or a 10-inch or two feet, whatever it was. It was just heavy snow. And suddenly, it's easy to ask, right, why am I doing all of this? What is all of this about? Why, why am I doing all this? And, and then Sunday service, that question kind of gets splashed into other areas. Like we come and we sit in Sunday morning. We say, what, what is all this about? Is this really worth my time? Is this really relevant to my life? And, 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 and then that takes you to other places, you know, that you didn't think we're there, but now you're on a roll, right? Is God real? Is God real? Is this, are we just all by ourselves? Do I really believe in God? And, 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 you know, the first time you ask yourself that question, you feel kind of guilty, but I mean, life gets harder and the snow keeps falling and it's heavier and heavier and it doesn't feel like your faith is working. It doesn't feel like your faith is working. And you begin to feel the fatigue and you begin to, you know, lose your desire for God. I've lost my desire for God. Did I just say that? I did. I just said that. You know? It happens. It happens in life. It happens in marriage. It happens at work. It happens in ministry. It happens in your PhD program. In your vocation. Is there a word for people who are feeling the grind of Christmas? Is there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of Colossians, chapter 2, 
verses 6 and 7. You'll find that on page 984 in your Bibles, in your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, just, just take that black copy and put your name in it. Take it home as a, uh, just a gift from this grateful church family. And I want us to look at two brief passages of Scripture from Paul's letter to the Colossians. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, and then Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. That's where we're going to be today. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is God's word. That's the word. This is, this is the word for Christians or non-Christians who may be feeling the, the grind of Christmas. And, and here's the message. Here's what Paul is telling us, just in a sentence, the big idea. The big idea is this, believe. Believe. That's what God wants. This Christmas, God is asking you to believe. He wants you to believe that he is who he says he is. This Christmas, he's asking you to believe that you are who he says you are. And then this Christmas, he wants you to live like you believe those things. That's that's what we just read here in these verses. That's the message of Colossians chapter 2, 6 to 7, and Colossians 3, 1 to 4. To the Christians at this, this little town called Colossae, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a church that he had never visited because it was a church that he had not planted. You see, the Christianity came to this town of Colossae um, only indirectly through the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had been in Ephesus, this major city in uh, Asia Minor, what is now modern-day Turkey, and he was there, he had ministry, preaching, teaching, the gospel went out, and he was uh, you know, in the hall of Tyrannus lecturing, and apparently there was a resident of Colossae. His name was Epaphras, Epaphras. He shows up in this letter to the Colossians, and Epaphras heard the gospel, and he goes back to his home in Colossae. He goes back to this town. And he gathers his friends and says, you would not believe what I just heard when I was in Ephesus. I met this Hebrew rabbi. And 
And, and, and he taught about this king who had arrived, this king who was holy, this king who was full of truth, this king who was full of love and, and mercy, this king who had created the universe, and, and this king who offered life that was truly life. Epaphras told about his experience being taught by this, this Hebrew rabbi, this king whose name was Jesus. And, and they listened as, you know, who is this guy, Epaphras? I mean, he, he was one man when he left us, and now he's back. He's a totally different person. They, they heard the word, but they saw this transformed life, and they said, tell me more. Well, whatever you've got, we want. And this little community gathered. That's how the church at Colossae started. And so, evidently, when the Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome, Epaphras heard of this and went to visit Paul and updated Paul on the, what had happened. And, and then, just before Epaphras left, he said, Paul, do you have a word? Can I share a word from you to the, to the church that God has planted? And Paul, yes. Gave Epaphras the letter to the Colossians. There it is. And Paul spends most of Colossians reminding this church about what they already know and what they've already received in Christ. As you received and just as you were taught, go together there in verses 6 and 7. And I, I chose verses 6 and 7 because if if you could just compress the book of Colossians into two verses. It would be those two verses right there. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 summarize Paul's entire letter to the Colossians. As you received, just as you were taught. They go together. So Paul is saying, you need to go back to what you've learned and believe that. Believe, believe that God is who he says he is. And, and when we see this phrase, as you received Christ, let's not think of the Colossians as going to a football stadium and hearing a, a Billy Graham evangelistic uh, event and then him saying, the buses will wait, you come forward, receive Jesus as Lord. That's... Uh, well, that's wonderful, but that's really not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about what you've received in terms of what Christianity is and the entire storyline of the Bible. We're not just talking about the events of Christ's death and burial and resurrection. What they have received, what's been handed to them is the entire storyline of the Bible. Creation, fall, Redemption, restoration. That's the story. That's the narrative arc of Scripture. And so they receive word of God's glorious creation. And then humanity's disastrous fall. And then God's passionate pursuit to restore that which was lost and that which is broken. His pursuit which included the nation of Israel from Abraham whom God had promised. Through you, all nations will be blessed. And, 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 and uh, what they received was this word about this promised king that the prophets had foretold would come. 
the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, this King who was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And this baby who grew, this baby who when he was 12, he confounded the teachers of the law in the temple. This man who was baptized by John, who then was tempted in the wilderness, and then who launched a ministry that transformed the world, preaching, teaching, performing miraculous signs and wonders. This Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of the Most High God, he was crucified. He was buried. And on the third day, he got up. That's our king. This is the one we worship. God wants you to believe that. Believe that he is who he says he is. Our faith is not grounded in mythology. Our faith is grounded in history. Our faith is based on those who were eyewitnesses of his majesty and glory. They saw him. They saw him. They heard him. This is our king. Believe that. Verse 6 literally says, as you received the Christ, Jesus the Lord. The Christ, Jesus the Lord. What's the word Lord mean? King. He is our king. Paul is teaching the Christians at Colossae, and I believe Christians in Champaign County, that if you want to hit the refresh button on your faith, then what you need to do is go back and replay over and over again what you first learned about who he is. He is the king. Believe that. Trust that. And you have to know, you have to know what startling news this was, especially when you consider the religious climate in first century Colossae. The Roman Empire, for that matter. Listen, Christianity did not show up in a religious vacuum the, Rome, the Romans, they were, they were religious people, all right, but here's, here's what their view was about the gods. And notice I said the gods. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, this quote comes from Rodney Stark in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, How, how a Jesus Movement Became the World's Largest Religion. Rodney Stark is a sociologist and historian. This is what he says. On that first Christmas Eve, almost everywhere on earth, the gods were thought to be many and undependable. Now think about that for a minute. Think about gathering in a place and giving homage to someone that you think is undependable. It happened. Aside from having some magical powers and perhaps the gift of immortality, the gods had normal human concerns and shortcomings. Now imagine that. Coming and gathering and giving homage to a deity that you feel had shortcomings, huh? Well, like what? Well, let me continue. They ate, they drank, they loved, they envied, they fornicated, they cheated, they lied, and otherwise set morally unedifying examples. My goodness. Really? Really? Yeah. Well, 
those ignorant ancient people. We'd never do that. You know what? We do it every weekend. We call it the movies. Well, what's, what, are the, what are the hottest movies out in our culture? Right? Aren't they the one? I saw one yesterday. Thor. Thor, yeah. That's this mythical figure. This guy, he's kind of living in two worlds. and He's, he's got beautiful biceps. And nice long blonde hair. He can't make a decision about which woman he loves. Do I love Natalie Portman or do I love this other babe in Narnia or wherever he is, Oklahoma? I don't know, but I mean, just, you know, we just... Again, it's... The Hobbit came out this weekend. This is this, this amazing movie about kings. Why does that resonate with us? It does. These movies resonate with us. It's deep down inside. I I like what Tim Keller has to say. The reason for the old myths, the reason for the new myths, all these superhero myths, they're, they're, they're they're new myths about kings. The reason we adore kings and create them is because there is a memory trace in the human race, in you and me, of a great king, an ancient king, one who did rule with such power and wisdom and compassion and justice, and that power and wisdom and, and, and compassion and justice shine like the sun in full strength. And here's what Keller says. Listen, we know that we were built to submit to that king and to stand before and adore and serve and know that king. Wow. Deep down inside. And we have that longing for a true king, a worthy king, a king that is above all other kings, a king that is behind those kings, a king that is true beneath all of those legends. And what Christianity says is, here is your king. His name is Jesus, and he is not undependable, and he is not um, morally untrustworthy. He is, as Paul says in Colossians 1, 15 to 19, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were made, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn of the dead. So that in him, in everything, he might have the supremacy. This is your king. Colossians says. And Hebrews 1, 3 echoes this. As the Hebrew writer says that he is the exact image of God. In the past, God spoke through our forefathers and prophets. But these last days, he has spoken through his son. So if you're in one room, and God is in the other room, and in the hallway is a mirror, You look into the mirror. Jesus is that mirror. 
You see Jesus, you've seen God. Listen, if you know nothing else about Christianity, you must know this, that Christianity is not about a set of teachings. It's not a, Christianity is not a possible supplier for the spiritual need that you feel in your heart. It's not it. Christianity at its root is about Jesus. And by looking to Jesus, you discover God. You want to know who God is? Seek Jesus. He's the image of God. The more you learn about him and know him, the more you know God. And the same cannot be said of any other major religious figure because none of them have claimed to be God in the flesh. And what you must know is that these fiercely monotheistic Hebrew people very early on worshiped Jesus as God. How is that possible? Because he got up from the dead. And he who rises from the dead, never to die again, gets to be worshiped. That's what we're reading here. (laughs) Paul wants us to know that Christ is the center. Paul wants us to know that Christ is the key to life and he's how to make sense of life. He is the lens through which we see life. And, and notice these activities that God has been doing in the life of these Colossians. It's what he's doing in our life too. He uses, talk about mixed metaphors, he uses three words, rooted, that's a horticultural term, built up, that's a construction term, and established, that's a legal term. <laughs> rooted, established, and built up. Verse seven, rooted in him, So like a tree, they were planted in a field. Or or more accurately, they were transplanted. They were relocated. They were put from one field into another field, another orchard. In other words, don't read through that too quickly because to be rooted means that new beginnings are possible. A new start is possible. Uh, The virgin birth of Christ is God appearing in a body is not just a neat miracle. It means that you don't have to be stuck and you don't have to stay stuck. New beginnings happen in him. And that's what happened to you. You were taken from one realm and put into another realm. And then he uses the word built up. It's a construction term, as I said. But it's different because, see, Rooted is in the past tense. Built up is in the present tense. So this is something that God is still doing. He's still brick by brick building the palace of your life, the residence, the temple palace in which he comes to reside by his Holy Spirit. And then he uses this legal term, established in the faith. That has to do with assurance and guarantee. It's like a contract that doesn't have any holes in it. It's ironclad. It's bulletproof. And all of these verbs, rooted, built up, and established, are in the passive voice, meaning the Colossians aren't doing any of these things. These things are being done to them by God. 
So, so we are to walk in Christ by being well-rooted like a tree, solidly built like a house, and confirmed or settled like a legal document. And the result, well, that's what's going on here in verse 7, thanksgiving, abounding in thanksgiving. So I'm growing, uh, I'm rooted, uh, how, how might I know? I might know that by the level of gratitude that's overflowing in my life. And Paul would know he's in prison when he writes these words. And some of the first words that he writes to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 3, is when he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. The guy's in jail. He's thinking of them. He hasn't even met them. He's praying for them. His, His life is full of gratitude for them. Paul believes. Paul believes that what God says about God is true. That's what Paul wants the Colossians to believe. I want you to believe that as well. I want you to see and interpret life through the lens that there is a creator and a redeemer and a sovereign king over all of life. So there. Question. How do we grow our faith? (laughs) See, how do we grow our belief? Time to get practical now. How, How do we live like we believe? Well, Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing what? The word of God. The word of God. So faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Now let me get very specific. Out in the foyer, out at the Welcome Center, uh, I have two Bible reading plans that I would like to invite you to take with you when you leave. One of them is, uh, it's a cool instrument it's a cool tool it's called uh, five by five by five so uh, five minutes a day five days a week and then there are reflection days in which exist five ways to dig deeper and so starting in 2014 or wait a minute don't start in 2014 start now okay let's just start now you begin reading through, and you can read through the entire New Testament in, in one year, five by five by five. Huh? That's, that will grow your faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? The Word of God. The Word of God will grow your faith. There's another uh, tool that's next to the five by five by five plan, and it's a, a th- through the entire Bible reading plan. And um, what I like about what I like about both of those plans is that not every day is scheduled because I sometimes, well, I oftentimes will get behind and then it just feels overwhelming. And the other tool has 28 days for Bible reading. And so there's like two or three grace days uh, where I can get caught up. So I commend those plans to you and I would invite you to go out into the Welcome Center and uh, pick up uh, one or both of those. Uh, and that would start today. Don't wait till January 1. Start now, December 15th. Another option for you uh, has to do with your smartphone, all right? So take your smartphone, and uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I want you to turn it on. And um, so you can download an app if you haven't already. It's called YouVersion, YouVersion. And if you download that app, that get you access, you get your Bible on the phone. And be smart about your smartphone. So while you're waiting for that next appointment 
or while you're, uh, you know, you've got another extra 10 minutes during the day, be smart about that. If you go to Version, you can download a copy of the Bible. Uh, or Many versions. And there are also Bible reading plans of all sorts. You can even kind of customize your own Bible reading plan. Listen, we've talked about going all in this fall, all right? What if we went all in in reference to reading our Bibles? What if for some of us, we, going all in means over the next 12 months, starting today, by God's grace, I, I'd like, oh, I'd like to spend time with God and read through the entire Bible. What would that look like? What would your life look like? Or, 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 or I'd like to... I would like to live in the Gospels for the next year. That's wonderful. Or what about the New Testament? I just want to read through, you know, five by five by five. What would that look like? Start somewhere. Listen, I I can pray for you. I can pray for you, but I cannot read your Bible for you. You want to grow in your faith? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God, believing that God is who he says he is. Does that make sense? Amen. Well, that takes us to Colossians chapter 3. Because what Paul tells this church is not just to believe that God is who he says he is, but to believe that you are who he says you are. And that's what we see beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, and the inference is, and you have. Yes, you have. If you're in Christ, and you are, you've been raised with Christ, and you have. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So, so think about that. As far as God is concerned, in Christ, you have already been raised. As far as God is concerned, and God's concerns matter most because God gets to define reality, not me. As far as God goes, you have already been raised. You're already in the new heavens and the new earth. You're already where Christ is at God's right hand. It's really important, especially when you consider when these verses were actually you know, put to the parchment. So think about the Roman soldier who guarded Paul. And he saw Paul. What did that Roman see? Oh, he probably saw this eccentric religious rabbi who wrote letters and taught passionately about this Jesus of Nazareth guy. What about the Jewish people? Well, to many Jewish people, Paul was worse than a Gentile. He was a traitor. That's what they saw. What did God see in God's eyes? Paul is a servant and an apostle and an ambassador representing his highness, the king. That's what what God saw. Now think about the Colossians now. They're in their culture, their Thor-loving culture. This small town in the up country of what is now modern-day Turkey. 
This town was neither large nor important. But we're reading about these Christians, this small church in this little no-name town. We're reading about it 2,000 years later. Why? Because the Colossians are not just nobodies. In Christ, what are they called? What are they called? Chapter 1, verse 2, saints. Holy ones. That's who they are. Paul, Paul in Rome has heard about them. He's heard about their faith and their hope and their love. He's not met them, but he loves them like he's known them all his life. They matter to him. They matter to God. And you know what? The same is true for us. God wants us to believe that what's true about us is based on what's true about Christ, which is this. He has risen. He defeated death. He will appear in glory. What's true of Christ is true of you and me. Our destiny is where Jesus is. That is God's reality. That's not, that's not shallow, thin, feel good about yourself. This is solid Bible teaching. This is what you've received. So then, verse 2, set your minds on things above. Seek the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. For you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ with God. And what does that mean? Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Here's what it means. It's really good news. It is. Because the gospel says, look, the gospel makes me disappear. The gospel makes me invisible. The God, in Christ, my life is now no longer about my life. Or it's, a, it's no longer about my strengths or achievements or attainments. It's no longer about me being noticed. Or about me being up front. Or, or my life is no longer about my concern about how much or how little I've grown spiritually in the past year. Now think about that. Push the pause on what I just said. Because sometimes we just get so obsessed with our spiritual growth. And I don't know if I'm growing and how much, how little. Listen. Great book that's helped me. Uh, it's a book that's titled, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. The author says this, The first sin that needs to be rooted out and attacked is not immoral behavior, it's immoral belief. The belief that my Christian life is all about my moral and spiritual progress. Christianity is not first about our getting better. It's not first about our obedience. It's not first about our behavior. It's not, it's not first about our daily victory over remaining sin. Those things are important, but that's not what's first. It's what's first is Jesus. His person. His work. His incarnation. His life. Death. Resurrection. Ascension. Being seated at the right hand of God and his promised return. That's what that's what matters. And we are declared righteous and we are day by day becoming more and more like him by his grace alone and through faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. Alone. And so when we're talking about the need for accountability partners and so forth, accountability that just focuses on my obedience or the lack thereof is is really incomplete and it's really it's really self-focused. 
The author says, the accountability I need is the kind that corrects my natural tendency to focus on me. The kind of accountability that I... So when I meet with someone, the question really is incomplete if it's just, well, have you been pure lately? See, that's incomplete. What needs to be asked is, how has the gospel rooted and strengthened and established you so that by his grace you are becoming more and more like Jesus? Now, that's a good question. You see the difference? When the goal becomes conquering our sin instead of soaking in the conquest of our Savior, instead of growing stronger and more mature, we actually shrink spiritually. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when I'm struggling with sin, it's typically typically because I want to be noticed. I want to be recognized. I, I... I want my way. But Paul says you don't have to have your way because you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. You're dead. And people really don't want to notice corpses. What they want, what they enjoy, what amazes them is gazing at the glory of a resurrected life. Now that's worthy of attention. And that's why Paul says in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears you also shall appear with him in glory. So there's a destiny. There's a destination. We're headed somewhere, church family. And when that just sinks down into the marrow of your soul, then that gives you hope, even in the midst of grief, even in the midst of sorrow. You know, yesterday was the one-year anniversary of the Newtown Massacre. And one mother whose six-year-old was gunned down, the mother said, I think the entire world is getting back to normal. We will never get back to normal. We are looking for a new normal. And that is why Christ came into the world. And that is why he died on the cross. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So Christianity teaches that God takes suffering seriously. The cross proclaims a Savior who suffers with us and for us. A Savior who has experienced The horror, your worst nightmare. He's experienced that. And that's why he came. He knew what we needed. What we did not need is another celebrity. What we do not need is another actor or another physician or another athlete or another pastor. We don't need that. This world needs what none of us could be. A suffering sovereign. A suffering sovereign. And he had to be both because mere suffering would not do and mere sovereignty would not do. The one is not strong enough to save. The other is not weak enough to sympathize. So Christ came as the suffering sovereign, the compassionate king, the crushed conqueror, the lamb-like lion. He came to Connecticut. He comes to us. Jesus 
perfected through suffering, despised and rejected, ready to be wounded, enduring anguish, poured out in death, raised to help, to help. Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. And this is his gift to us. This is the greatest Christmas gift that he could give. What do you say to a congregation that you've never met? What do you say? What truth would help them and encourage them? Paul says, go back to Jesus. Replay what you've received in him and from him and about him. Go back and believe once more who he says he is. No one can, no one can feel like Christ. No one has hurt like Christ. No one can love like Christ. No one can heal like Christ. And no one can save like Christ. No one. And then you believe who he says you are. Remember that you've already entered the age to come. Already. You belong there by right. By what Jesus did on your behalf. And so you don't need to struggle to achieve what Christ has already secured for you. So you just let his life work itself out in you and through you. Walk in him. Live in his reign. Fix your mind on him. Set your minds above where Christ is seated. That's the word. What if... What, what, what if, because of how we walked and how we saw and how we interpreted both the good and bad in life, what if because of our lives, our community got curious about the God we worship? What if? What if, what if because of, of what we believed about who God is and who we are and our lives as a result of that, what if our community got curious of maybe there is a life to come? These people believe like there is life after this life. What if? What if the quality of our lives, and I mean as a community, this, this letter came to a community. It comes to this community. What if we lived such a quality life that, that our community just was changed? New Christianity came to Colossae through one person. One person who believed what God said about himself who believed what God said he was, and then who lived like it. What if?